Sales development continues to grow in importance as a critical component of a successful go-to-market strategy. And with the explosion of new tools, technology, and processes, the sales development industry itself is thriving, as seen with the growth of the 10-bound sales development market map over at 10bound.com. On this podcast, we'll dive deep and go beyond sales development to think about the future of technology, processes, and tools in the industry with our host, noted futurist, author, and sales development practitioner, Justin Michael. Welcome to Beyond Sales Development. Tune in each week and be sure to hit subscribe, leave a comment, and turn on notifications to never miss an episode. And now, Beyond Sales Development with your host, Justin Michael. Welcome back to Beyond Sales Development. I'm your host, Justin Michael. Today on the show, we have Warren Zena, who is the founder and CEO of the CRO Collective. Fun tongue twister there with C-Levels. Warren, it's great to have you on the show today and welcome. Thank you, Justin. I appreciate you having me on. You know, I've been following you for a long time and we've known each other for a long time. So this is, this is great to have the opportunity to speak to your, uh, your community. I feel the same. I remember we got to actually meet in uh, San Francisco, and now that seems like something alien that we do. So I was I was meeting Man, the C-Levels. Tell me about your background and kind of the CRO Collective. First off, we'd love to hear what you're doing with chief revenue officers and thought leadership. Sure, sure. So I'll make it real brief, so I'll give you the whole story enough to just make this make sense. As you know, when we met, I was at the time... I was running one of the executive groups at Havas. So they had a uh, North American network and I was the executive vice president of one of their groups. And so in this position, I had a P&L, you know, I was at the top layer over there and I was a decision maker for the purchasing of various technologies that would use. So yes, you're right. Like a lot of sellers would come to me on a daily basis pitching. As you know, Justin, I'm a seller. I've been a seller my whole career. I've been training sellers my whole career, and I'm also a marketer. I've been you know, running marketing organizations for most of my career. So I have a kind of unique perspective on this stuff. So when these guys were all coming in trying to sell to me these various ad tech platforms, I had a unique perspective and I started making some, I kind of came to some conclusions. And the main thing I started seeing is that as you and I spoke about so many times, a lot of these sales guys would come in and they would start doing these demos. And I noticed a lot of things started to happen. One thing that happened was uh, frequently the the materials that they would show up on the screen were different than the stuff that they were saying to me. So there was a disconnect between the marketing slides that they were using and the way that they were talking to me. It was clear that there was just, it just wasn't a, wasn't a clear message. And what happens to the brain is when you're selling to somebody and there's two things going on at the same time, two messages, the brain shuts off. So I found a lot of times I would just check out because I don't want to have to try and listen to two things at the same time. This is actually very common. And the second thing that would happen was I also found that many of these sales guys, they were really pretty good, but they were very focused on pushing me through the funnel. And I could tell the way they spoke to me. Like they would ask me questions that were leading the witness, or they were trying to glean insights from my answers that weren't necessarily accurate, that would help them maybe plug something into their CRM system later to say he was interested or not, without really asking me what was really going on. And so I was seeing like a lot of this, I would call it like self-centeredness, you know, coming from these sales teams. And what happened was it would happen a lot where in the middle of all this, I would say, you know, these guys are actually selling me something that's pretty good. 
Like if I just were to look at this, what they're selling me, it's actually something I could use, but I don't want to buy from them. I don't want to buy from people that talk low or sell like this. So what I did one time was, was back in 2015 or 16, I actually went back to my desk and I picked up the phone and I called the CEO, one of the tech companies that just pitched me. And I said, hey, uh, I got the CEO on the phone. And I, and I said, look, you guys are just here. And uh, I'm letting you know, I'm not going to buy from you, but I want to let you know that like, these guys are not well prepared. Like you're doing something wrong the way you're deploying your teams. Because if they were prepared better, I would have. Because what you have is actually something that I want. But this was an indication of things that I felt I'm concerned about. You got to get your act together over there. And of course, you know, they're like, I'm all ears. Tell me what you're talking about. And we'd start having this long conversation about like, why are you deploying your guys like this? Why are you sending you guys in the field with like mixed messages and poor communication skills when they're really good guys? What's happening over there? And what it occurred to me, and I'm, I'm sorry for the long answer, is they didn't have their alignment together. Their marketing organization was off running off doing one thing. Their sales organization is off doing their thing, usually driven by quotas or fear. Marketing is likely just trying to hang on to try to be relevant. So they're running all these programs, trying to make sure they can hit their KPIs. And when you see that happening, what's missing is a culture of misalignment. Whose job is it to fix that? Right? It's the CRO. The CRO's job is to build a revenue team. And, and CROs are not really prepared to do that. Most of them are salespeople. Matter of fact, people call the CRO the best dressed salesperson in the room, right? And the CRO really shouldn't be the best dressed salesperson in the room. The CRO really should be the revenue alignment leader, right? Who understands the entire revenue operation. And understands how sales and marketing and customer success work together to create a seamless experience for the buyer, but they don't do it that way. And because they're not hired properly, they're not trained properly, and they usually come from sales. And what happens is when a CRO is hired from a sales organization, what happens is he makes that problem worse because now you got a leader who's running sales, and now sales becomes even more important to the company because now you got a C-suite guy running it. So now some marketing is even less important, and customer success is even less important. And so this exacerbates a major problem. So I came to the conclusion that CROs need to be trained. There's no place for CROs to go today. Imagine that. This job is really important. There's no place for them to go. So I built the CRO Collective to address this problem and to help CROs understand what the job is and to help CEOs understand how to hire them and appoint them so that the organization is set up properly for this whole kind of relationship to work and build out a more aligned sales and marketing customer success organization. And that's what I'm doing. So that's my very long answer. That's why I came to this conclusion. And that's why I built this business. I'm, I'm, I'm finished now. I think it's super cool that you're building a community, a niche community to help chief revenue officers, but also people that aspire to that role. That was always the dream. The goal for me as a VP of sales and RVP of sales. And it took me 13 years to work up in SaaS. And I ended up going in a consulting and training direction, but also building communities for sellers, which you're involved in. I'm greatly appreciative. We're all trying to figure out this insight. So when you said that sales team's off, like, hey, I would have bought. I'm involved with these big communities of XDRs and they're trying to write the right email. How much personalization? How much should I know more? And what do I mention on his LinkedIn profile? This stuff is like myth. You know, there's these systems where it's like 20 data points to personalize. 
I, we're really curious your opinion. You've seen a ton of sales go by. What are some best practices where if they did just a few things or didn't do these other things, <laughs> it's like deadly sins or love? Yeah, you know, it's, it's such a great question, man. I, I so appreciate this question because as you can imagine how many emails they get a day, how many in-mails, you see me post about this all the time. I've been getting a lot about franchises. But I don't know what heck that's all about. But, you know, I got to tell you, I don't have some kind of, you're in the formula business, Justin. You're actually building formulas. You actually post formulas and you write formulas and you know, you're creating kind of almost chemical mixes and building ways in which you can do something. I, I think it's awesome. I love that. And I think there's probably a lot of merit to it because I think there probably are ways that if you look at enough in-mails or emails that work, there's no question you can pull out components of it that if you do this more and more often, you'll see it. But if I were to say what it is, I know it's going to sound like a stupid answer, maybe one that's less satisfying, but it just feels right. And here's what that means, right? So I got one recently. How many LinkedIn inbound LinkedIn vendors do you hear from a day, right? I, I got to tell you, probably 10 a day I get. We'll get you a thousand LinkedIn leads. You know, we're the top company in the world that drives LinkedIn generating revenue and we're the LinkedIn experts, and, right? There's no way, obviously, that all these people could be able to do this well or else everybody would be making a trillion dollars. But I responded to one recently and I don't really remember why, but it was, it was a woman and she wrote me a really great email and it was something just really kind of casual and very real about it. It didn't have any hyperbole in it. It didn't contain any kind of gobbledygook or any stuff. It just said something like, hey, you know, we do this and we do that and let's talk, you know, and it was something about it. It just had me go, ah, sure, I'll talk to her, you know? So I wrote her back and we're now, we're, we're battling around the schedule trying to get on the phone. And look, I'll be straight with you. My expectation is it's just gonna be another schlocky thing anyway, but she got me to get back to her and I'm very considerate of this. If I make a meeting with somebody and I have to break it, I always keep the meeting because if I, I don't like doing that for salespeople. I was one. That's why I tip waiters and waitresses and bartenders so much because I was one. So for me, it's like I'm very conscious of that. But to answer your question, there was something really authentic about it. It seemed honest about it. it she seemed real to me, human. And there was something about the way she wrote it that, you know, look, Regardless of the fact that I know that there's all these schlocky companies out there, the reality is that I really would like to get a lot of in-mail emails from, from people. I would like that. Like, I still do need it. It wasn't like she just wrote me a nice email about something I don't need. I mean, there is a need, right? I would like my LinkedIn to work better for me. Now, watch. I'm going to get all these freaking calls now from people. Yeah. So what I'm saying is that there is a need, but the need wasn't enough, right? It, it's not just the need. It's also that there was the need plus connection, you know, need plus human, you know, maybe might be the right formula, you know, and I could find the email. I'll send it to you and you'll see, you'll probably look at it and go, there's nothing that great about this, but, but it worked. So I think that part of what I'm seeing is the SDRs out there that are on this, this, this thread, you know, trying to reach an executive. My son, by the way, he's 26 and he's in the industry and he sent me the emails. He can send people. I'm like, dude, this is an encyclopedia. Just make three sentences. Like cut this thing down to like two, two sentences because someone writes me an email that's only one or two sentences. That person understands my world and the amount of investment that I'm going to make in a message because I'm busy and I don't want to read a lot. So it's a language I speak. It's almost like I have a certain way that I communicate. And if someone communicates the same way I communicate, then they're like me. And if they're like me, 
then I want to know them better. And if I want to know them better, they're going to get in my world, right? So I think that's an important thing. You know, we, we tend to want to put too much information inside things. And it's not really that important, frankly. Most of the time it's, what do you need? This is what I do. Let me know if you can talk about it, right? I personally think you'll have a greater shot at getting a response doing it that way more often than not. So again, I, I give you long-winded answers, but this, this is the kind of way I think about this stuff. Yeah. So you've also touched on marketing. So I think you A-B test everything. There's all these great systems. You mentioned the formulas, you know, you have to learn the formulas to break them. Ultimately, it's strange. I feel like marketing has taken over sales. There's these beautiful marketing templates and they get written for the SDR team. And then the SDR team has this great well-positioned content and it all looks very formal and wonderful and marketing signs off and legal signs off and everyone's happy. But then we look at what the top sellers actually send and say in the meetings and it's radically different. I had really cool experiences at this, even with huge companies. You know, I'd be uh, out in Las Vegas for Salesforce and the top rep ever. And I'm listening to his conversation and I'm just, I'm enthralled. It's so radical how they're describing the products. They're so deep. They're, they're just having these really industry insider type banter. And I'm going like, how do I get this smart? So can you give us tips? Why has marketing taken over? How can we have marketing be happy, but still send awesome sales communications. Like I want to dig into tactics here because I know I really want sales and marketing alignment. And I always joke, ask for forgiveness, not for, for permission on this stuff. But you just highlighted it. You're saying these short and sweet emails would help you be responsive. Yeah, so definitely I, I get that. And I, you know, look, I also want to make another point because it's a great question is who are you writing to? So my experience and my answers are going to be different than somebody else's because I'm not the end user of a lot of the products that I'm buying. I mean, I am now because of the fact that I run my own company, but most of my career, I wasn't, right? Most of the time I was making decisions to buy things for other people. So I think that's a part of it too, is tactically, is where does the person I'm writing to, where do they sit in the product experience? Are they the person who's going to have hands-on keyboard? Or are they the person who's more like the strategic buyer, right? And, and I think that's not a small thing, right? I mean, it, it's really important to know the way in which my product is going to be related to by the person I'm writing is going to have a big impact on the way that I speak to this person. So for example, when, when you're selling to an agency, if you're selling to agencies, products to agencies, there are people who use the product, the, the actual person who's going to actually sit there and be logging into it every day. Think about what are the things that that person is thinking about? They're, they're not talking, they're not worried about the cost. They don't think they care about the cost at all because it's not going to come out of their pocket. It's not their budget. They're just going to make a request, you know, but they're going to care about how easy it is to use or whether it's going to interfere with other dashboards that I'm working on, or is it going to integrate well with the current stuff I'm working with? Or what's the learning curve it's going to take me, right? Or is it going to generate reports that make my work better? or make me look better because I can give a report to somebody that showcases the work I've done in a way that's better than before, right? Th things like this, they seem small, probably everybody listening to this is going, yeah, no shit, but it's not a small thing because I tend to find that a lot of emails that go out don't have that level of specificity and you lose the person immediately after that. Like as soon as I read an email, it's like, you don't even know who you're talking to. I don't care how well-written it was. I don't want to listen to this anymore. But if you're that specific, it actually puts me back a little bit with, hmm, wow, this person really understands like where I sit in this equation and they've addressed those things. That's not small. And I, I think that's another important part of it, right? So the pithiness I was talking about before is probably more related to somebody who's busier, more an executive. Technical stuff, if I would switch up a little bit, I'd say 
is likely important to somebody who's using the product on a day-to-day -day basis. So I would start looking at that. I actually create a matrix and say, okay, of all the people that I'm selling to in the decision-making spectrum, what role do they play in the use of the product? And what are the things that are important to them and make sure that I touch on those things and I write those emails or else I miss them. Yeah, that's really helpful because we're all trying to figure out what to write, what to send to, C to CROs and C-level executives. Walk me through your thoughts on closing. I, you know what? A lot of SDRs want to become AEs. They want to become sellers. They actually, they dream about becoming the CRO. <laughs> so imagine you're listening to this podcast right now and you're either the leader of teams of Outbound or you're in Outbound and you're kind of thinking, how do I progress to kind of where Warren is? So that some of this is a question of career advice, life advice. How do you, in this modern context where I talk to SDRs every day, we're like, I'm just locked in top funnel. I can't, they won't promote me to AE They because it's a catch 22 because I've never closed. I'm not eligible for the AE role, right? And some people jump it and they make it across, but you've managed lots of teams. This is just sort of a mentorship question, you know, because you're in my group you know, and how can folks build a career like you have wherever they might be based? That's a good question. I mean, I was always the frontline seller, right? So I was always the guy with the bag in my hand, you know, and you know this, right? If you have the bag in your hand, you're running around the street, you're bringing in business, then it, it makes it a lot easier to kind of build up a reputation as someone who can get things done, right? And the other thing I would say is, you know, I'll get into it because I, I think you make a good point. Well, how do you make that jump? I want to address that. But is that if you're selling a product, it's a different paradigm than if you're selling like a service. And I know those two worlds are merging a lot lately, right? I mean, software sales, there's a service component to it because software is a little bit more of a complex purchase than just buying some widget. But if you're selling a consulting service or if you're selling a strategic development service, or if you're selling even a creative service, what's really interesting about getting into sales is, and this happened to me over time, is you eventually evolve from becoming the salesperson to actually becoming the product. Because when they're buying a service, they're buying people who think a certain way and can advise them a certain way. And if you start selling something enough and you're good at it, you're actually delivering the product while you're selling, if you're doing your job properly, right? You should be actually solving a problem in the sales process. They should actually already in a way have had a sample of almost like four or five of the potato chips in the bag before they even buy the bag of potato chips. And the reason they want to buy the bag is because they've tasted four or five of them and they want the whole thing. So the way you can evolve is by getting out of the, remove yourself, make that bridge over to selling a service, and then you become a consultant. And then you become what's called, you know, you know, the, the cons cons consultative seller, where now you're an expert, right? Now you know about something. So then when you come speak to them about it, you occur to them less like somebody who's trying to sell me something as opposed to someone who's really smart and helps solve my problems. How do you make that leap from an SDR, right? So, you know, I, it's a good question. I say the first thing is these are probably organizational issues. Unfortunately, I think the SDR role has somewhat become intentionally siloed because if people are really, really good at getting leads for salespeople to close, then they're going to be stuck there, right? It's almost like one of these kind of jobs that you kind of like don't want to be good at because you're never going to get out of it. You know, they're, they're going to keep you in it all the time. He gets me all these great calls. He gets in front of all these people. I want to keep him doing that. I don't want him selling, you know, I need him to help me close. Um, I, I would say the aggressive thing to do, and I think this is less about your tactics, is really more about organizationally is you have to, at some point, you have to go to your manager, or your boss, and you have to make it really, really clear what your ambitions are, where you want to be, and you have to ask for it. Because if you're really good at it, 
you know, unfortunately, it's the rare manager that comes to you and says, you know, you're really good at this and I see great things for you and I want you to move on. You know, they want to keep you in the job you're good at because that's what's making them succeed, right? So you have to ask them to get out of it. You kind of almost say, look, I don't want to do this forever. You know, I could either leave this job and go sell somewhere else, which would be an option, or you can give me the opportunity to do it here. Now you want to keep me around. And if my scales, my skill stack is transferable from being an SDR to a salesperson, then it would make sense for you to keep me here and have me do that here than at a competitor, right? So give me that opportunity. Let me close some business. Or, or you're never going to get out of it because waiting for somebody to come to you and tap you in the shoulder is sort of a loser game. You have to be, grab it, but you have to understand how to do it. And you're going to make some mistakes, but someone who can get people on the phone or get people to get a meeting, it's a harder thing to do. I actually think that the SDR has a harder job and it's a, it's a, it's a better skill stack. I think it's a more transferable skill stack. Somebody that came to me from an SDR organization that was really good at it, that's someone who I would say, wow, the person has a skill set that's transferable to going out and closing business, right? So you have an advantage that you should take advantage of. I would say anybody on this podcast, listening to this right now, whatever you want to call this, this conversation, think about that conversation you can have with your boss and go like actually have this discussion and find out if there's an opportunity at your company to do this, if that's your ambitions are. And if the answer is no, then you should go get a sales job. So because you just basically were told by your boss that we want to keep you where you are, which means there's no opportunity for you. So that's, that's what I would say. Super helpful. Yeah. So talk to me about closing. You've had some really, we've had some great conversations. There's two, there's two points that I really like. You have a strategy for helping reps get prospects to talk. And we both agree that the more they talk, the higher likelihood to get invited back. Most reps, they do the, the discovery call, or maybe they do a little demo, they do a first call, they just dump features, and then they say, send me information, or yeah, sounds really interesting, I'll follow up, and just goes into a black hole. But if you can get them talking on the first call, then they will then take interest and desire to go to the next one. So your qualification framework, I think is really interesting. And I would also love to hear your thoughts just generally on how to close deals right now, because in the pandemic, like, Pipelines are just dry, drying up. That's a huge thing, right? Getting the revenue in the pipe, but chief revenue officers, where the rubber meets the road is the actual dollars in, the invoices in, like money into the business. So your thoughts on these two things to just kind of you know, conclude this episode are really, really helpful. Yeah, yeah, no problem. Thank you. And, and look, there's different types of conversations, right? So this is more like a uh, information conversation where you and I are talking and I'm, I'm having these big, huge blocks of conversation and you have a big block of conversation, right? A sales conversation is really more about listening and inquiry. And if you're a seller and you're trying to sell anything to somebody, the biggest mistake that most people make in the closing process is by not eliciting enough information from the, from the customer because they're too busy trying to talk about their product and service. So what you and I talked about was this, call it a technique or a strategy. I don't know, it sounds a little wonky if I say technique. It's more like a framework and a philosophy, right? So if I'm speaking to somebody and I'm a salesperson and I bring with me all these emotions and feelings about, I wanna close this business, I gotta make this deal, I gotta get my quota shot. Like all those things are gonna inform the way that I communicate with this person. And it's likely gonna be very much about me and my needs and what I'm thinking. If I can remove all that from the conversation and get rid of all my wants and all my needs and everything I want out of it. And I think only about two things, whether or not what it is that I have to offer this person is a value to them and find out what their needs are then what it's going to do is going to trim down the conversation dramatically. And I'm only going to answer the questions that they ask me. 
So if a customer asks you a question, it's a difficult thing to do. Just answer the question without any added information. Don't qualify it or nothing. So if they say, so how much does it cost? Just say, just it should be a numerical answer and not anything else. If they say, why is it better? Give them an answer, nothing else, right? So what ends up happening is, this is a really difficult kind of a, almost a, it's a physics in a way. If you're only answering questions without any additional information, naturally what's gonna happen is the dynamic of the conversation is that the person talking you're talking to is gonna understand intuitively that in order for them to get information from you, they're gonna to have to ask you more questions and they're gonna start asking you more questions. And now you've got them in a modality where now they're asking you questions. And those questions are extremely insightful because you understand why they ask me this question. Because this is well, people's questions are about what's important to them, right? I'm not gonna ask you about something that I don't care about. I'm gonna ask you what I do care about. So when people start asking you questions, the good salesperson has an intuitive understanding, an empathetic way of knowing this person's asking me this question. Therefore, there's something important about this question. And I want to explore what that question is about. And that's now when now you're having a dialogue with somebody. When you're having a dialogue with somebody, that's if the need is there, if the price, all those things line up, that's when you can close the business. Because now they're talking to you and they're asking you things and you're giving them answers and information. Okay. And another thing you and I talked about, I'll, I'll jump to it because we discussed this, is solving their problem no matter what, right? So you and I talked about an instance where I had somebody on the phone with me and they were telling me about a product that they want. I, I, I don't know how I got them on the phone for some reason. I was selling some, some software or something like that. And they were telling me, they were asking me all these inquiries about my product and stuff. And they were telling me about their current vendor, what they were currently using. And I remember I said something to them, something to the effect of, why doesn't the product that you're currently doing use do that? In other words, the feature that you just referenced that we offer, why is it that what you're currently using doesn't offer that? And they didn't have an answer. And I said, I don't believe that. I, I remember this. I was very adamant. I said, I don't believe that. I, I know the product that you're using and they must offer that. I bet that. Have you asked them for that? And you know, it kind of put the person back in their heels a little bit. It was like a weird question to ask somebody. I was like, well, I, I told them I would if I were you. I said, you're spending a lot of money on the product and that feature seems like something that they should have. You should get that from them and they should offer it to you. And I remember the conversation was even, they were like, no, I don't think they do. And I said, I bet they do. As a matter of fact, I'll call them and I will get them to tell me whether or not they offer that feature or not. And if they do, then your problem is solved. And it was like kind of a ballsy thing. I remember this, it was like kind of solving their problem as if I was a consultant for them, as opposed to trying to sell them software. Now that's a, that created a much, much, much different kind of a conversation that's happened with this person. I, I, I completely transferred my conversation with them becoming someone trying to sell them something and someone actually maybe calling them out and maybe being lazy because they didn't make a phone call to their own vendor and trying to solve a problem without having to get me on the phone. Ask them, why are you on the phone with me? Which is a question you should ask, by the way, people. I love that one. It's such a meta fourth wall question. And I, we were actually doing some role plays on this because I, I'm really into the way that you know, linguistically power comes, you know, shifts back and forth. Sandler talks about yeah. equal business stature. When you're on the call with that chief revenue officer in that moment, if you really know about your products and similar customers and how to add value, there's a, there's an egalitarian view. It doesn't matter, you know, how much base salary they make or their 30 years experience during that moment. If you know about hypervisors or Kubernetes or AI, Absolutely. you know, and you can teach them something that could be useful to them based on other similar companies. It's really powerful. So 
So I guess I, to summate, just kind of help on this, to summate, I'd say, obviously, listening, empathy, simplicity, clarity, and then there's also relatedness. So if you say things to me that are really, really in my world, I'm going to think you're smart and I'm going to want to talk to you about something. That level of specificity you just mentioned is so critically important. Somebody says, like, you know, you're good at this. I mean, you know, a lot of really, really important, really nuances about technology. If you mention those nuances to somebody, they're going to go, okay, this guy is really, really smart. The specificity of his questions makes him sound like somebody that I want to just immediately answer his question, as opposed to general questions. Yeah. Right. So now last question for this, and then we're going along, but it's fun because I love mm-hmm. what you're talking about. How do you become great at sales? <laughs> is it an art, is it a science? You've got to do a lot. There is an art and a science. I think you have to have a certain kind of personality. There's definitely salespeople are weird. I mean, people who, people that do this for a living are really weird people. You know, people that are willing to call up somebody on the phone that they don't know and talk to them and have a conversation with them. I mean, that's not a very normal, most people fear doing that. Guys like you and I, we love it. You know, I'll pick up the phone, I'll talk to anybody about anything. So first of all, you, you got to just have that sort of, like, I tell you the truth, it's funny you ask me that question because practically speaking, anybody should learn how to sell because practically it's probably the best skill you can have for any other business you're going to ever have in your life, right? If you could sell, then you can run a business. If you could sell, you can do this. But, but that's the wrong reason to do it. Like you shouldn't sell just because it's a practical thing. You should sell because it's in you to do it, you know, because then you're going to succeed at it. And you can tell someone who's good at it. So that's one thing. And the other thing is um, you got to do it a lot. You got to do it a lot and you got to be trained by good people. I got so lucky in my career, man, when I was young, particularly one guy who I still am very close with, he kicked my ass. I mean, he listened to me make phone calls and he'd walk over to me to go, what was that? No, you, you sent the number and then you spoke. You don't do that. You know, he, he kicked my ass on stuff. And I'd listen to him and he'd come over to me and I started to, I'll leave with this because this is actually really cool. I remember what I did. I thought, all right, so this guy's really good at this. So I'm going to do it like he does. And there was about a three or four month period. This is kind of embarrassing. That on the phone, I sounded exactly like him. Like someone came up to me and said, what are you like? a? I don't want to say his name. Like, what are you like a Smith? <laughs> like a like, like Smith too? You sound just like him. But it was because in my mind, I was like, I could mimic that. And if I mimic all his cadences and everything he says, eventually it became my own. And I stopped sounding like him. It became, I got my version of it became my own. It kind of morphed into my body. And now I was mimicking him, but I sounded like me because now it was my version of him. And then I could pass it on to somebody else. So in a way, you kind of almost have to find the person that you want to sell like and then try to mimic that person so well that it becomes who you are. And then all of a sudden that person disappears and you become a new version of yourself. And that's kind of like what I think is the way to do it is you kind of have to find that, that kind of magic and, and make it happen over and over and over and over again. It's been an amazing episode. I want everyone to follow Warren Zena, Z-E-N-N-A. And uh, could you share your website for those interested? Sure, yeah, no problem. And it's, it's launching like tomorrow, but go, go, go to it because there's already up saying it. It's www.thecrocollective.com, thecrocollective.com. And Justin, thank you for indulging me. I, I know I talk a lot, so I appreciate you letting me go on and on and on like this. I appreciate it. No, that's perfect. We want to highlight the guests on the show. That's what makes it fun to listen every week. Thank you for being on Beyond Sales Development, and uh, we'll catch you next time. Thanks, Warren. You're the man. Thank you so much. Cheers.